Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syndicate to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
be with your spirit. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. God of grace, we come to you with thanksgiving and pray that in your grace you will make your word live to us and what we hear and understand, you will give us grace to obey day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in this congregation, there are quite a number of us who belong to what is, I think, an endangered species. The endangered species is a twicer. Now, a twicer is a very interesting person. I checked up in my concise Oxford dictionary of some years ago. It was there. Twicer is a person who comes to church morning and evening. I wish to point out to you that the new edition of the concise Oxford Dictionary has omitted the word altogether. Apparently we have ceased to be. Uh, so no more are twicers acknowledged at all. Uh, but I want to acknowledge them today. And I do that for a, an obvious reason. If you were in church this morning, you would have spotted that this morning's preacher and this evening's preacher has chosen the same passage to preach from without any undue collusion. Uh, but here's this, we have it on a Sunday in between the carol marathon and as one who sang five times in the tenor section I counted a happy marathon but the carol marathon of last week and the Christmas events of the next two days this is a kind of in-between day now I don't know what led Ben Cooper to Philippians chapter 4 I know what led me to Philippians chapter 4 it is in 1662 book of common prayer which I still enjoy consulting from time to time it is the epistle of this strange Sunday this fourth Sunday in Advent the book of common prayer doesn't bother unduly about carol services then didn't exist in those days and uh, it moves straight on for this from the thought of Christ coming in his humility which is Christmas to Christ coming in his glorious majesty and so, uh, from my point of view, the value of this particular Sunday is a reminder to us that the Lord is near. If you have a Bible open, please now turn back to the passage we read in Philippians chapter 4. And if you were here this morning and you're having a second dose, I hope it will be beneficial to you. It'll be very different, uh, a, a different slant, but the same message. And in the, in the middle of Philippians chapter 4 comes that phrase in the end of verse 5, the Lord is near literally he's round the corner he's at hand no Paul was not writing from prison to give us a kind of nice service nice sermon just before Christmas day it does not mean it's about to be Christmas day the Lord is near when Paul writes to this church in Philippi from his prison cell what it meant to him was two things one I can always turn to him he's near even in this prison he's around even though I'm guarded by a Roman soldier, he's at hand. But he also is reminding us that he's near, he is coming again. He will come in his glorious majesty. And even as we approach Christmas, that's a tremendous challenge and encouragement. Now this morning, if you were here, Ben reminded us from this same chapter of the contentment that we can have and the generosity we should have because of this great truth and as Christmas comes upon us, those are very relevant words. We should be contented and we should be generous. But I want to take the other half of uh, this Philippians chapter 4. This is what uh, I want to speak about this evening. It's equally true. Peace on earth. The song of the angels. 
the things we talk about a great deal at Christmas and often is missing. And just as the, the idea of contentment may well get lost after Christmas, uh, so the message of peace can easily be forgotten. So I may, if I may, speak to you about two things. This passage speaks about the peace of God and it speaks about the God of peace. It's a lovely move on. You know, the Bible insists we have peace with God through Jesus. And if we're in Jesus, we have the peace of God and we have, as we end an old year and move on to a new year, we have the God of peace with us. Now, please note that when Paul is writing, he's not just writing to a vague church in Philippi that he knew and loved. He's got certain people in mind. In verse 2 and 3, two ladies, Yodi and Syntyche, for some reason, have fallen out with each other. And he's very down to earth, very personal. Come on, what about it? The Lord is near. And he goes on to talk about other people in verse 3 and 4, verse 3, who can help. And all of them written in the Lamb's book of life. If you love the Lord Jesus... Whatever your background, age, you're in the Lamb's book of life. It's the most important book to be in. The only book of life that really matters. We're there. And if we are there, then the challenge to us all and the great encouragement is the Lord is near. And if the Lord is near, then we have this offer of the peace of God. Not just the church vaguely, but we as individuals. And wherever we are tonight, let's look at those two thoughts. And it goes alongside this morning's sermon. That's why I mentioned the twicer. It works sometimes. Be good twicers. You get a double dose. And this morning's sermon reminded us that there is this glorious contentment that comes when we are in Christ, when the Lord is near. And one of the beautiful contentment things of God is this glorious promise of peace. How do you reckon peace? What do you think peace means to you? The peace of God. There are certain kind of people think about peace as being placid. Now, if you are a placid person, thank God for it. I am not a placid person. I am the least placid person that ever there was. And I, I, I envy you placid people. But it's got really nothing to do with that. I hope you know that. Uh, when you get to my age, which is 81 and three quarters, you are allowed to reminisce a little bit. Uh, and I do uh, remember uh, that uh, in my curiosity days... Uh, we curates, it was one of those multiple churches with three or four curates. And once, once a year in the summer, there was an awful thing called open Sunday school. Now, if you don't know what open Sunday school is like, those were the days when there were hundreds of kids at Sunday school. And once a year for a month, the uh, school, Sunday school teacher allowed a, a, a week off, a month off. And we curates had to do open Sunday school, a whole lot in one great lump. And the week before I did it, we had a, a lay reader whose job it was to uh, take the Sunday school, the open Sunday school. And as he spoke, nobody took the slightest bit of notice. Uh, they were busy sort of uh, flying their paper aeroplanes, doing all sorts of odd things. And I said to my fellow curate, how on earth does Stan stand it? It's, he's not, nobody's listening to him. Oh, Stan doesn't even know it. He lives in a pool of peace. I love that phrase. He lives in a pool of peace. Well, the next week, I, there wasn't a pool of peace. I sorted them out. I cluttered a few. <laughs> I got rid of them. But we're not meant to live in a pool of peace. If you are that sort of person, God bless you. But that's not what the peace of God is all about. It's something far more wonderful. And the promise he gives to us, this certainty of God's peace in these verses, is a lovely 
promise. And will you notice it? When it talks about the peace of God, and it talks about the God of peace, the peace of God in verse 7, the God of peace in verse 9, it begins with the word and. If you went to the same kind of school I went to, I was told you should never start a sentence with and. The Apostle Paul never went to that kind of school. He's very happy to start a sentence with and. And the peace of God and the God of peace. And I just want for a moment or two to see with you what is the bit before the and so that we can understand how we get to the peace of God and the God of peace. So my sermon tonight is quite simple. Just two points. No notes, I'm afraid, but just two points. The peace of God and the God of peace and how we find them both. So first of all, the peace of God. Notice that promise in verse 7. Some lovely things about it. It's, it transcends all understanding. It is supernatural. No, seriously, if you are a placid person, that's not the particular gift of God. If, like me, you're not a placid person, we need that which is supernatural, that which alone God can give. And it's a lovely promise, and it goes alongside a promise in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, where it talks about the love of Christ which passes understanding. Very interesting. That we are meant to know that which the world cannot give, that it's purely of God, so that in the midst of trouble we can be at peace. Two illustrations. Jesus in the boat with the disciples in the storm, and they marveled, he went to sleep. The storm didn't worry him because he had the peace of God in his heart. He was at peace. And then maybe storms around the corner in all sorts of ways as we start a new year. Jesus came to a stormy world. We live in a stormy world and we can have the peace which passes all understanding. There is Paul in prison and he can write at peace and recommend them to be at peace though he has the death sentence over his head. So the peace of God is something supernatural. And what does it do, that supernatural peace of God? Do you see it? It will guard your hearts and your minds. I love that phrase. If you remember the old version, it says keep. Well, the keep is the keep of a a prison, the keeper, the one who will guard you. It's It's a word which means garrison. And Paul, writing this letter with a a Roman soldier standing at his side, perhaps chained to him, keeping guard over him. Paul offers to them a peace of God which will guard them and keep them. I guess for most of us, making New Year resolutions has long since gone. If you're still a New Year resolution person, well, uh, think about this New Year resolution that we shall keep our Minds fixed on him and find the peace of God which passes all understanding to keep and garrison our hearts. But how does that happen? What, what comes before the, the and? It's a promise of guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Five times at carol services, Paul preached about I know it well, I heard it five times, Paul. I heard every word five times. And he promised to us the secret of the gift of life in Christ Jesus. He offered us life in Christ Jesus. And here's the offer of peace in Christ Jesus, garrisoning our hearts and minds. So I want to know what comes before the and. Do you see it? Verse 4, 
Rejoice in the Lord. Verse 5, let your gentleness be evident. Verse 6, don't be anxious. And the peace of God. All these three things will lead to the peace of God. Rejoice in the Lord. That's a conscious saying that I will rejoice in the Lord. Can I read some verses at the end of Habakkuk? No, please don't try and find Habakkuk. It may take you a long time. But way in the Old Testament is the minor prophet Habakkuk. And at the end of this great letter of Habakkuk, comes this letter of Habakkuk, comes these words. Let me read them. Habakkuk 3.17. Some folk call him Habakkuk. I like Habakkuk. 3.17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines... Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, what a prospect. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. Don't you see it? Now, there are lots of things that make us happy this Christmas. There are many things that make us joyful. There are many people at Christmas, because these things are not there, are far from happy and far from joyful. And the sooner Christmas is past, the better for some people. But for all people, if we get our perspective right, we don't rejoice in these things that inevitably come and go. We rejoice in the Lord who is always consistently there and preacher and hearers alike need to be reminded of that I remind myself of it that there is something always in the Lord there's always the gift of life in him as we heard at at the carol service and there is always a place of rejoicing in the Lord always whatever else may be happening around us and alongside uh, that uh, promise that command rejoice the Lord always let your gentleness be evident to all now he's a heart searcher do you call yourself a gentle person is gentleness one of your characteristics it's a lovely noun actually the greek word means uh, something like uh, balance uh, the kind of person who is mod- has moderation in all things and when we come to christmas the ups and downs of christmas time When we're rejoicing in the Lord, we don't go up and down with circumstances. It's gentleness that's evident to all. And that we shall be the same when the Christmas festivities have gone by. We shall still be there faithfully. And how can we do it? There in verse 6, not being anxious, but in everything, praying with thanksgiving. There's a, a, a New Year resolution for us that I make sure that I give time constantly to be in touch with the one in whom I can rejoice. And as I do so, he will help me to find the peace of God. He will also help me to be gentle, moderate, balanced, dependable. Do you know, I think one of the greatest tributes I can make, and I do make of a number of people I know, that they are always the same. Would that people would say that about me? Always the same. And that's the, that comes when we are rejoicing the Lord always. When we know the peace of God in our hearts, all that will be true. There's the great offer. The peace of God. And then secondly, the God of peace. There comes that promise of the God of peace. 
If you want, when you get back, if you have a concordance at home, you have one of those things which tells you where verses are, find out in the Bible how often the phrase, the God of peace comes. Very interesting. And lots of uh, letters in the New Testament, or a number of them, end with this note of the God of peace. For example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Thessalonian letter ends with the God of peace sanctify you wholly. That's a very powerful thing to do. Hebrews ends with the promise, the God of priests who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. That's a powerful thing. And Romans ends with the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So you get the message. The God of peace is not a, a promise of something easy and pleasant and nice and enjoyable. The God of peace is a God who does things. The God of peace be with you all. The God of peace who brought Jesus back from the dead, who will crush Satan under our feet. The God of peace be with us all. That is the promise, will be with you. So what is the prelude to the God of peace being with us? What comes before the and in verse 9b? Well, verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is pure. Allowed one little bit of reminiscence again. I went to a grammar school where every year at speech day we read Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, and our very austere headmaster, who actually once lived at number 4, Crimicar Lane, there you are, before ever he became our headmaster, he lived in Sheffield and lectured at Sheffield University. And this gentleman always, he, he, he wore his sort of he was a very austere gentleman and he would say to boys whatever is noble whatever is admirable think on these things and he left us all in silence to do it I didn't even try I just picked cricket teams and uh, thought about uh, how the football was going on but it, it, you, know, you were supposed to think you try thinking think on admirable and noble no it doesn't get you very far does it what I would suggest that you do is focus on Jesus in whom all these things are true, noble, pure, lovely, admirable, right. And what Paul is saying to these, these Christians in Philippi, if you want the God of peace to be with you, one way to do it is to set your mind on Christ. For you see, the mind, my mind, your mind, very often dwells on many other things, trivial things sometimes, that's less harmful than some of the other things we, we read about, we get on our internet, we watch on television, and the mind is being bombarded with things which are the opposite of pure, lovely, admirable, noble. So I have to make a real effort to make sure that I put my mind on those things that are true. Will you make a resolution? to make sure you make time to open up God's word day by day. See, I don't believe anybody says I haven't got time. We make time for what we want to do. There isn't a person in this congregation, however busy they are, who can't find time to let God speak through his word. And then comes the challenge, verse 9. If I do that, if I think about these things, if I set my mind on these things... Whatever you've learned or received or heard or seen, do it. I find two things there. 
I am very humbled when I think the Apostle Paul dared to say to a congregation who'd known him, please, if you want to be a good Christian, look at me, and whatever you see, do it. Isn't that awful arrogant? Or is it not a man who so walked with God that he can say it with honesty? I would find it impossible to say whatever you see, hear, and think, and see in me, do it. But I would like to think it could be true. And certainly the challenge comes to us, we should live that way. And the second challenge, of course, is it's one thing to know what we ought to do. It's another thing to do it. The Bible says, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. And if I want the God of peace to be with me, then I will think on these things and whatever I learn by God's grace, I shall seek to put into practice and I shall seek to do. Now, as I come towards the end of what I want to say, I want to try to bring this home personally. There are two lovely personal comments in this chapter. Oh, it starts with a lovely promise in verse 4, in verse 1 of chapter 4. My brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, my dear friends. It's very personal and, and lovely. But the two very personal words, verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Verse 19, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. There was a time when I signed books, you know, I've written one or two books in my time, and if anybody bought one uh, with their, in their folly, they bought one of my books, they had my signature on it, so I would sign their book. I would always sign the book with either these two texts. I bet there's some people in this congregation who somewhere have a book of mine which has my Philippians 4.13 or 4.19. If, find out. Uh, I always did that verse because one of these verses are all very special to me. The very first time I ever remember signing a book. Uh, I don't know whether I did Philippians 4.13 then. It's a long time ago. But it was years ago when I was a curate. And we put on a, a very special sportsman's service in St. Helens in Lancashire. And we got the rugby league team to turn out in total. Yeah, that was a, a marvellous occasion. One of our congregations was a director of the Saints team. And Saints were ordered to attend so they all attended this service I got Tom Farrell who was an Olympic athlete in those days who won the 400 odd meters final and uh, he was a keen Christian a friend of mine and I got him to speak and, and a, a boxer in St Helens who was a Methodist local preacher and he read the scriptures and we had a great occasion and at the end of the of the, of the service all the young people were there getting the autographs of the Saints team but before they could get them the, the captain of the Saints team, a man called Tom Van Vollenhoven, a South African international, came to get my signature for his baby book because I baptised their baby. And at this moment in time, he wanted my autograph. That was a moment of triumph that I've never known since. Uh, this was something, my autograph. Now, uh, uh, I, uh, I don't think I did put Philippians 4.13 on there. I ought to have done. But that's... Uh, the signature I would give to you, if I ask, do it, if I have signed your book, it's because I believe these two verses are a tremendous testimony from the Apostle Paul in a very secondary way from me. Just notice, all things, my God will meet all your needs 
I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. Just please note that according to his glorious riches. Every need I meet, there are riches in Christ and much more to meet your needs. In a note, one of my notes of my sermons, I don't write sermons out in full, as you can guess, but uh, I, uh, I have notes in my sermon, and I have a note about the end of Philippians 4. All it says was Angus MacTavish in my notes. Now, nobody else would understand Angus MacTavish, but I recollect that I preached on this passage, and I wanted some illustration, and there was an SOS. Do you remember the days when there were SOSs on the radio? I don't hear them these days. SOS. So there, was a, there was a Scotsman. I'm sure he wasn't called Angus MacTavish, but the most Scottish name I could think of, and uh, uh, he, this, well, this Scotsman who was living rough in London applied to the nearest police station where he would learn something for his advantage. And you have this picture of this Scotsman living rough in London uh, who somewhere a millionaire uncle had left him all this money and he was living in poverty when he could have been living in riches. And it gave me a lovely illustration of what is sadly true of a lot of us Christians who live in spiritual poverty when we could be spiritually wealthy. We really don't believe he'll meet all our needs. We don't live as if we have spiritual riches ready for us. And I want to plead with you on this uh, Sunday as we meet between our exciting carol services and the joys of Christmas, just let's focus can I even begin to testify that I do, I can do everything? My God will meet all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. As I look around the congregation, I know a lot of you. I know a lot of stories I see behind faces I see. Some of you I've never met before, may never meet again. You may hope we shall never meet again, but perhaps we shall <laughs> one again. But uh, you're whoever you are. So I don't know the story behind your eyes. But oddly enough, I do know what you need more than anything. It's what I need more than anything. I want to know the peace of God. I want to know the God of peace. And the promise is I can have it both. And the God of peace will be simply with us. If, if. We found peace with God through our Lord Jesus. There's no, nothing soft about the Christian faith, faith. There's nothing spurious or superficial about the Christian faith. It went all the way to the cross and the death of the little baby who was born in Bethlehem. Crying, my God, my God, why did you forsake me? It cost all that. But at the end of the day, because of all that, you and I can have peace with God and I can step out through the Christmas celebration the next few days into the uncertainty of a new year knowing that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and that my God, who will be with me, will meet all my needs, your needs, our needs. And it's that way that we shall find joy. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing about that joy and my prayer is that you'll know it day by day. Let me pray.
Thank you, Father, that you inspired your servant Paul in the midst of great suffering to make this offer to us and that we can listen and enjoy that which he promises. Thank you that it's not just the promise of an apostle. It's the promise of a savior who, coming back, risen from the dead, said, peace be with you. And he says it to us tonight. Lord, as we go out from this church service in due course, may we know that peace which passes all understanding. May we know the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, equipping us to do everything according to his goodwill. And in that peace, may we find true, lasting, deep, abiding joy. In Jesus' name, amen.